I'm your host, Jody Geiger, and welcome to Winning as Women, brought to you by the Compete Network, powered by Clue. And today I'm joined by Nikki Shanzer, a senior leadership development sales performance consultant at LinkedIn. And before her time at LinkedIn, she was an enablement leader at Outreach, Hopin, Dropbox, uh, and was also a seller previous to that, as well as a renewals manager uh, before that. So Nikki, she's walked in every one of the shoes uh, of the teams that she serves today. And she's also an ACC accredited coach with the International Coaching Federation. So hello to a fellow coach. And I met Nikki through a friend of Winning as Women, Steph White. And Steph said to me, Nikki is known for her authentic presence and her generous insights and the community that she fosters. And I said, well, let's get this amazing woman on the show. So here she is today. And Nikki's work, uh, from what I understand, is part enablement, part leadership coaching, and part leadership development. And she does a little bit of everything. And I feel like I know this pretty well because it's so similar to my own role at Clue today. And you know, being across so many different leaders and across different teams and departments, it can be a blessing because it allows you to connect dots. Uh, and I'm excited to see how Nikki's connecting some of those dots in the live work that she's doing today within her current role. And Nikki, I know that um, she takes from an earlier conversation we had, she takes her role as an enabler and as a coach and really as a leader uh, to heart. And as you're about to see, her hands-on experience within each of the roles and teams that she serves, as well as the frameworks and models uh, that she does know and use, um, they show up in everything that she does. And I couldn't be happier to have her here today as a guest on Winning as Women. So Nikki, thank you for joining. Oh, Jody, thank you for that very nice intro. I was like blushing, which doesn't happen frequently. So thank you. That was so nice. Oh, no, you deserve it. I, I spent, I was saying to our team here, I spent so much time researching you and listening to uh, you at different conferences that were recorded or other podcasts you've been on. Uh, and you're yeah, very, very concise thinker, very articulate speaker. And I just feel like your experience oozes out of you. Uh, and you're so open still to experimenting and learning as you go. And, and that generous comment from Steph, you do that. You're showing up and sharing your learning as you're, you know, as you're experimenting and learning. So that's, yeah, such a gift. So you absolutely deserve the, you. the blush. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thrilled to be here. I can't wait to chat with you. Just, I've been looking forward to this. Amazing. Well, let's jump in. Um, so I know, Nikki, you have been one of those people who have built an enablement function from scratch. Yep. And you also worked within more mature teams. So with that grounding, uh, how does your approach, um, if you were starting a team today, how would it change in terms of setting up a team um, in understanding both dynamics? Oh, what a lovely question. Um, so I think a lot about starting up a team from scratch. Um, one of the things that I think I would do again, which... I think is probably controversial. There are people who have very strong opinions about this, but I think what worked in our favor, then I'll talk about what I'll, I would change, is we actually promoted the roles that we were hiring for as more generalists. And I called it the tour of duty 
of enablement. So instead of getting ahead of myself, knowing that it was a startup as well, that things would change, I thought, am I going to pigeonhole myself and the people on my team if I create these very specific roles for them? And what would it look like for someone to join the team and know that they could rotate for you know every single year, every single quarter? You know, maybe it's I've never planned a kickoff before. Great, go right ahead. Rolling out methodology, we had everything new in front of us, and so I think I would actually do that again if it was depending on the stage of the company. Um, what I would do differently is think about how we support leadership. I think that traditionally we have always focused on the individual contributor, and we find ourselves stuck when we are trying to get management buy-in. And I would have either created a role for that or um, started earlier having those conversations with my stakeholders and VPs. Um, I would definitely do that over again differently. Okay, so interesting because I also am and have started a, a department from scratch here at Clue. And I was speaking the other day with someone on my team who doesn't have a ton of revenue experience within the teams. And I do. And so she's looking at me going, but you have that experience so you can bridge those connections into you know, the leadership and the functions because you've held those roles. So what would you have in terms of advice for someone who's um, developing on the enablement side, but has maybe less experience on their revenue side? What would you maybe say their tour of duty could look like within mm. enablement so that they build up their skills? Yeah, I think it goes back to, I mean, shadowing is invaluable. Really, you have to understand your customer. And I know this is a, a thing that people talk about a, a lot. There's there is legitimacy to credibility. And no, do I think that everyone has needed to be a seller to do enablement? Absolutely not. But I think you need to be deeply ingrained with your customer. And whether that's across go-to-market or specific roles, you cannot go wrong with shadowing. But there's also this level of trust that's built. So you have to start understanding the language. Are you speaking your customer's language? How are you interacting with leaders and make sure that you are in lockstep with everything they're doing and start to resonate with the problems and the challenges that they're having. Because there's always, there is no shortage, as we know. Yeah, I love that. That's uh, the shadowing. That's where I went to in, in discussions around this is uh, if you don't have the experience, the best way to learn is watch those with experience, pick up on the language, pick up on the nuances, start to put yourself in those shoes. You know, what if I was the one having to answer that question? What would I need to know, you know, beforehand? What am I curious about in this moment? And from there, there's just, there's so much room for, I think, development and learning and confidence, which is really yeah. the piece there, I think, that needs to grow. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I think about this a lot. I did a workshop with enablement folks and it was, it was about coaching. And I noticed that when we went to the breakouts where you actually had to practice coaching, like 90% of the people dropped off. And I thought, we are asking our sellers every single day to be uncomfortable with the exercises that we're putting in front of them. We're having them do certifications. We're having them to you know, submit their calls. It's such a vulnerable place for all of us to be in. And yet if we're not willing to do that, what does that show? So I think about that a lot where 
I mean, picking up the phone, like you have to have empathy for what your customer is going through. And that's probably the easiest way to do it is pick up the phone and, and test it out. I mean, you really have nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And so fun, I think. Um, <laughs> so on the, yeah. the coaching side of things, it's fun. It's fun if you, you know, if you put yourself in that mindset <laughs> of, of I have nothing to lose, you know, totally. let me just play with this versus mm -hmm. the perception, I think, on yourself of um, I have to nail this. I should be the one who's the expert on this. Right now, there's separation between you know you and the the teams you're enabling, um, or you and your customer. I mean, it applies in so many different scenarios across um, you know the realm of of selling. Uh, but if you put yourself in a place of I'm here to learn, and there's probably things I can pick up and have fun with it along the way, let's go. Uh, that's yep. usually a, a good place to start. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so. In terms of coaching on enablement teams, you talked about coaching and teaching enablers how to be coaches. Uh, you talked about a session that you held with them. Um, I'm curious because there was a, an interview that you were in recently where you talked about um, managers showing up as coaches and that line and even asking the question um, or setting the expectation, is this a coaching conversation or is this a moment where you're looking for direction? So I hear that from a manager perspective, but I'm also wondering from, and I agree with that wholeheartedly, but I'm also curious on the enablement team side, where do you see uh, coaches showing up as having roles within an enablement function? Mm. Yeah, I think for from an enablement perspective, what's interesting is when we're in this macroeconomic environment, all of a sudden you go from programmatic work to like in the weeds work. A lot of times people expect you to be a coach, even though that might not have been the expectation ever. Uh, they want you to inherently know how to fix problems and fix them quickly. And so things get really messy, especially in the time we're in now. Uh, and so I think that there's there's a few ways I look at this. One is when you deal with stakeholders, I think that's you can have a coaching conversation because there's it's a two-way street. You are working with your stakeholders and trying to understand what they need, but you also have to coach them through what's possible and coach them through what makes the most sense. You're you are the holder of so many things and the, and you have to try to protect teams and your and your customer. And so I think there's whether it's using grow model or something else, you can absolutely apply that uh, to working with stakeholders. I think another way is, especially when you're rolling out programs, there are, whether it's coaching assets, I mean, not everyone's going to look at them, let's be honest. You can create those things, but it's what you do to put in action when you roll things out. How does somebody see what's possible through whatever you're rolling out, whether it's, I want to show you what a coaching conversation looks like. I want to show you how you can apply this. Let's experience this together. I think that's when you start to change people's hearts and minds around what it really is. And one of the things that I think about a lot is how do you build this into somebody's day-to-day -day without disrupting it and making it feel like something extra? And I don't have the perfect answer to that, but I'm I think about it every day. Like, let's stop checking the box. Let's show up in the way that we want to have others show up. Like, how do we lead by example is, is a lot of mm -hmm. what I'm thinking about. Um, 
And it's hard. It's really hard to do. Yeah, it is hard to do. And I love the I love the call out of coaching isn't something that happens in a moment in a box. It's something that applies in every conversation. You have an opportunity to listen and to co-create and kind of find that plan B together. You know, you both come in with plan A in, in mind or you know, plan A in terms of problems that you're seeing. And really, what is that plan B that we together in this conversation can create something that wouldn't have existed otherwise? Uh, and now, because we're both part of that creation process, we're bought in. And I think yeah. that's where I see, you know, what you were talking about earlier of, around um, connecting with other leaders in the business and stakeholders in the business and where enablement teams can sometimes miss that moment it's that they think or put that pressure on themselves of I it's, I have to come up with a program. I should deliver this. Maybe I know you know best. Right. Right. Yeah, I love what you brought up co-creating. It's that is what it's about. Like we don't ever do anything alone. And if we are building something in a silo without our customers or stakeholders, what are we doing? I I think I I was at Dropbox. Um, at a time when the it was like just me and like a few other people globally on the team and we were like trying to figure it out. And I remember it took about a year and I looked back and I thought, I can't tell you why I've done most of the things I've done. I can't, I'm, I've done a lot, but I can't look back and say, here's why I did it. Here's the impact I had. And it felt icky to me. It felt like, I just did a lot and I was burnt out. And so I had to reassess and go, okay, if I'm going to hang my hat on something, how do I do things differently and in a way that excites me where I can go all in on maybe one or two things and blow it out of the park versus 500 million little things that I'm trying to just put out fires for. Um, and so I, I think you're right. It's like, how do you co-create that? How do you have ownership with your executive sponsors? How do you make sure that everybody's bought in? And I think that starts with what we were just talking about, which is there. It's a it's a coaching conversation with your stakeholders in that moment. Like dig deeply. What options do we have? You don't have to go off on your own and go, okay, let me figure this all out by myself. And we do put that pressure on ourselves. But what would it look like if it was? I love the language you're using. What if? What would it look like if we co-created this together? Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's because like total agreement. Let's you know rewind that clock and uh, tell us the story of once you realized, hey, I'm I'm being really reactive in my business in this moment. It feels a bit icky. Uh, what are the tactics if you were to be able to label them? If you can, what are a few things um, that worked for you that you now have maybe brought forward? Yeah. So I think it was the first step was understanding from a longer point of view, where are the levers that I could pull that would make the most impact? And at the time it was, it was on compete, all of our competitive, I'm like, Jody, you're, this is perfect. Um, it was about- Tell our, us our more about yeah. compete. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's such a hard topic, you know, and, it, and everyone cares about it. Um, but it kept coming up and it kept coming up. And so it started with, talking to my manager, my manager kind of 
sussing this out around the business. And, um, and it depends on how everybody operates. Like sometimes you can go straight to the top. Other times you have to socialize first. Uh, so this was one of those instances where I had to socialize first and just validating, like, where do we want to make the most impact? And I think I did two things in parallel, which was I position this as, can this be the thing I focus on the most where I spend, you know, X percentage of my time. So it was getting that validation. But two, if I do, can I go kind of crazy with this and come up with an idea that you can shoot down, but let me take this and come up with something that I think will be really interesting. And so there was this like negotiation up front before I just went for it, where I think I had done that the year before. I think I had just, I wanted to prove my value in my enablement role. I said yes to everything. I, uh, I I basically ran myself ragged just trying to execute on so much at once. And I had really didn't feel like I had much to show for it. And so this was, okay, if I'm going to hang my hat on something, put my name on it, I want it to be excellent. And that's going to mean that I'm going to have to negotiate my time and this opportunity to kind of do something differently. Yeah, it's the old adage, go slow to go fast, yes. right? And the the process, you know, if you are doing co-creation and you are using your coaching skills to force, you know, your – so what I'm trying to say, let me back up here. If you're using those coaching skills to be able to engage with those stakeholders and define, here's the outcome, this is what we're all looking for, set expectations, you know, paint that done project, what you're actually doing too by – you know, and forcing yourself to do is to define your priorities and to get really clear on what it is that you actually need to accomplish. Therefore, what you could potentially measure uh, in terms yep. of a successful project. And if you go through that, what you find, I think, within that constraint is that room for creativity that you were talking about. You can still go wild. You can still have a lot of fun, and you know, and put some new ideas and and new um, activities in place. But it doesn't necessarily need to always feel like the wild west. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just reactive zone. Yeah, and when you live in that, it's like, what you just turn around and you go, "What have I done?" <laughs> Other than feel like I'm doing a lot of everything. Um, and to your point, it was. I think that that was uh, one of one of those moments where I look back and I, it was such hard work, but it was fun every single day. I remember drawing these like <laughs> on a whiteboard, this matrix with a solutions architect, someone else on my team, trying to map out where people go because it was in-person enablement at the time and how do people shift rooms and uh, like just even from that level of detail, every part felt like we are doing the right thing for our audience and they're going to get so much value out of this. And so doing that hard work felt good. And I don't think that all the time we get to say that. And so it's like, how do you go towards more of those things where you go, I'm working so hard, but I know the end result is going to equate to value for my customer and they're going to love this. And that's those are the things we need to be continuing to strive for. Totally. And if we think from a, a leadership lens, that's what we would all coach leaders towards doing is yes. clarity of task, you know, a lack of ambiguity, 
when we have that, when we, you know, people know how to show up, they understand how their hard work is going to translate into a result. And that, you know, the ambiguity I often find in that gray area is what can be, you know, demotivating to people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think to, that... Does my work matter? Yeah. And people go, what am I allowed to do? I think that the, I learned early on as a leader that I was trying to, I made, I I think I made a ginormous mistake my first hire, which was trying to help him by showing him the way I did things. And I did such a disservice to him by, by doing that. And as I started to go through my coaching journey at the same time, it started to untangle this idea of, you know, one, I'm a Virgo and very like type A and I'm like, can you not like type A everybody, Nikki? Like this is not fun for people. It's not how everyone works. Um, and two, just like thinking about how I don't have all the right answers. Like what if this looked differently? That's awesome. And so I really tried to take my experience at Hopin by building the team from scratch and going, what if I let my team members know the headline and our outcome and they could figure out the rest? Like you have, I don't care what road you take to get there. Tell me where you're stuck. My job is is to unblock you. So when you're stuck, that's your job to come to me. Other than that, you have open runway. But here's what we're trying to achieve. And it was mind blowing to see, I mean, uh, the things my team came up with, I could have never even come close to what they came up with. It was It was phenomenal. So huge lessons learned, I think, through just going, it's it's not my way, that's the right way. Yes. the And that's where all the fun happens, I think. And a team starts to really jive and finds a lot of success through that diversity of thought is when you, you know, open that up a little bit and that, that middle part gets to be, you know, done the way that you want to get there. Different routes, you know, same end yep. goal and same end, end point. Uh, I had that Sim- I had similar learning uh, to you <laughs> in terms of the not done your way. Uh, and I had that when I was moving from an individual contributor into a management role. And a 360 feedback came back and just kicked me. I did not see it coming. And it was, you know, it's that old adage that, you know, sellers, when they have success, think that, oh, I've unlocked it. This is the way you sell. Everyone do it exactly the way I'm doing it. And the 360 mm-hmm. feedback for me came back and was basically like, you do it your way. I'm not you. So the questions you get away with asking when I ask them, it doesn't work. Um, you need to yeah. you know, open this up and stop being so directive. And I was like, huh, whoa. Uh, that was painful. Like, and it took whoa. me a while. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, yeah. Those are those moments, especially when you're not expecting it. And later on you go, oh, wow, what a gift. Like I'll, I'll share that when I was, uh, when I was selling, I, my manager joined my call and I, it was very new. It was like my first time selling SaaS. I didn't know what I was talking about. I'm like, I don't know what an API is. Like I have no idea what I'm talking about. And after the call, as a manager does, he said, how do you think that went? And I was like, oh, I think it went pretty well, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, you were spiraling out of control. <laughs> and I thought, 
I will never forget it because I, I was like, did I just, like, I knew he was right, right when he said it. And I thought, why did I think that I could get away with, like, just kind of fluffy, like, yeah, I think it was fine. It's like, no, he was going to tell you the truth. And, <laughs> and it hurt so much worse. But I will never forget what a gift that was because I can tell you I was never as bad after that. I didn't spiral quite uh, that way ever again. And I probably would have had he not just stopped me and said, no, that that was not good. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so I hear you. It's like, but it feels shocking, even though you kind of like know the back of your mind. It's like, wow. Yeah. And and those are the moments, those moments that we then learn. And I think that, I don't know if, if you have this experience as a coach, but those moments for me can also be those goalpost moments or, I don't know, signal moments for me. And I have a similar story where someone who was newly promoted into leadership, I was coaching them. And one of the first sessions that we had, they said, I'm excited. I've totally dialed this selling thing. I know how we succeed in this market. Like, let's go. I can't wait to get in with my team. I mean, I know exactly how to get this done. And I had that moment in my head where, you know, you're you're talking to yourself and observing yourself in that moment. And I was like, huh, do I say, wake up? <laughs> That's not yeah. the way to do this. You're in yes. for a rude awakening. Or do yes. I, you know, ask questions for them to try to get to that point of understanding, which I chose to do. They still didn't get there. And so sometimes, <laughs> you know, and they didn't get there until probably six months later. And then they came yep. to me and they're like, oh my gosh, I've been thinking that my way is the way. Um, and it was, and I was like, oh, interesting. Like, I know. I, I witnessed like, that six, months, six ago. months ago. <laughs> yeah, but we have to, you know, sometimes we have to learn those lessons ourselves for uh -huh. them to become real and recognize them in others. Um, so switching gears a little bit, if we can. Um, the last time that we chatted, you mentioned something to me that gave me shivers. And I knew that you were kind of live in the work and I wanted to still make some space for us to tap back into that because now it's been a bit of time to see okay. where you're at in your thinking. But you said to me that you were working on um, a sales process and maybe a sales renewal process and you were looking yep. at the different sales stages. And the thing that gave me shivers that you said is every company is doing this wrong. Okay. Do you remember saying that? Yes. <laughs> Because I think yeah. about it all the time. Yes. And I still believe that. Okay. Expand. Okay. So I want everybody to visualize the thing that they see all the time, which is a laminated. Typically, it's like laminated and it has a bunch. It's like a table format and it says stage one, stage two, stage three. And then it says what happens in the stage. And then it says, here's your exit or entry criteria into this stage to the next stage. And I've worked on four of these, at four different companies, I've worked on a sales process project. And I think I finally, it took me four times, but I finally had my aha moment, which is that I believe that a sales process does not benefit a rep or a leader. It benefits the business. And unless we flip it on its head, which is more of the, whether you want to call them softer skills or truly make it about the customer, it's what, instead of I need this criteria in order to do this thing, it's 
What are the meaningful conversations that I need to be having with my customer? How often should I have them? When should I have them like based on what I'm hearing? And what are the indicators that I need to pivot? And if we can teach, we, I mean, we roll out pitch decks and new messaging and all this. It's like, if we're not connecting the dots and creating this woven story for our field and for our leaders, it becomes a mapped out process that feels like no one's going to follow it because they don't want, they don't want to, they don't like being in the system. Not to say that they shouldn't be. I very much believe that everyone should be in their CRM. Um, but I, I just think that like we've been setting parameters that don't apply to our customers in the right way. And I've seen customer buying journeys and, and all of that, but I think we're looking at it the wrong way. I think we have to start with the conversation. Yes. The, so what I'm hearing in that is uh, flipping it from a sales process or sales renewal process into more of a buyer experience process. Yep. And almost asking the question, how are they experiencing me in this conversation as a seller or as a CSM or whoever that might be? And then what do I need to um, ask, not even to you know, find out intel? But what am I asking so that I understand? And it's it makes me think that a difference with more experienced sellers is that they're asking questions to understand the emotion and the politics yep. and you know personal motivation. And it ties into this, is what are the conversations and the things that I need to ask and understand so that I know best how to tailor you know, our process and our needs back into yours and yep. you know, full full circle here. We're back at the um, co-creative process. You know, what yes. is not my plan? Your pa- your pain, and you know, my my objective. It's what can we create together? Yes, absolutely. It is such a an interesting thing because what we do when we build sales process, we teach people to want things and not give things. And I do know. I will caveat this. Like I understand that many people do have like these. I've seen gives and gets. I've seen a lot of different versions of this. But what we're doing is saying, this is ours. This is what we follow. And it's a a forecasting tool. Instead of really, what are the indicators that somebody is going to churn? What's an indicate? What could someone maybe say that lets us know that they're probably evaluating five other companies? What are the indicators that I know I have a green light to move forward. And we try this with like mutual action plans and all this. Again, we put more work on our customers. And in theory, this all makes sense, but I actually think it's simpler. And it's about how often should I be checking in? How, like, what are some of the micro things that I can do to keep somebody warm as I'm, you know, navigating a huge book of business? Like, there's so many levers that a rep can pull. Um, that I think we don't teach them enough about. And that to me is more of the benefit versus like go stage one to five or six, sometimes 14. I've seen, I've seen a gargantuan number <laughs> type of stages, um, but it's, it's too difficult to follow for every customer. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Um, okay. 
a question I ask every guest on Winning as Women. Uh, what does winning as a woman mean for you today? Mm. I'm going to give you a cheesy answer first. So the, <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is uh, I finally get to be a mom. And I that's like the ultimate for me right now. I'm due it November 1st. And I think about where I've come from and, you know, not, not only that, but like where I'm going, um, motherhood's obviously a big thing that I've, I've wanted for so long. I'm so grateful to be here, but surrounding that, I couldn't be here without the women in my life. I couldn't be where I'm at without the amazing support system I have. And to me, winning is about continuing to foster the relationships with men and women, everyone, everyone. But I have to say that the women in my life are the reason for why I'm at where I'm at. And so I think that's it. Just keep your keep your relationships strong. Um, and I, I would say that's like my biggest, that, that to me is how I've won everything. Well, I feel very grateful to now be a woman in your life. And Back thank you so you. much for sharing that. Yeah. And so where's the best place, Nikki? I know, you know, you, it sounds like you'll be taking a bit of time in, in November, but I, you know, hope that people will be able to still follow along um, before that. And when you're back, um, where's the best yeah. place for people to find you? Yeah. Um, LinkedIn is the best place to find me. Shocker. <laughs> Wouldn't it be bad if I was like, find me on MySpace? Um, but definitely, uh, <laughs> definitely LinkedIn. Um, and then uh, hopefully my goal, I'm putting this out there. My goal is to eventually have like a coaching website where, because I coach on the side and just, I think a lot of people are interested in right now, in it right now. So first off, if anybody's interested in learning about how to become a coach or what that involves, I'm always happy to have those conversations, but LinkedIn's it. I know I mentioned at the beginning, you're a, you're a giver um, and you connect with your community and that's evidence right there of it. So thank you so much, Nikki, for being on our show. And thank you to our production team with Grayson and Ben and the Compete Network um, for putting on this show. And I'm Jody Geiger and we'll catch you next time on Winning as Women. Thanks, Jody. 